You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, how are we doing this morning? Good deal. Uh, Matthew, or, uh, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be, so if you want to go ahead and break out your Bible and get that open, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 is what you need to be... Uh, open to Mark chapter 5. And let me just uh, go back a couple of weeks. I miss you. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been here and I got the chance to preach for a buddy of mine who planted a church down in the Houston area a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, Valentine preached that week, sweat rag and all in full effect, right? And, uh, and I know he did a great, a really, really good job. Just a great job. He, he hit a home run. And then last week, KC preached his last sermon at Stonegate. He is on his way to plant a church um, in Lawrence. So he's going to make about a nine-month stop in Kansas City um, as he goes to Lawrence to plant. And so just to encourage you to keep praying for him um, as he's kind of in the middle of that journey. They've got a big year in front of them to get ready for all that. So thanks to KC. Thanks to Valentine for preaching. And I always just want to remind you of this when other people uh, fill in and uh, preach for us, that that is a great thing for everyone involved. It is good for you to hear multiple voices. It is good for them to develop the giftings that God's put in them. It's great for me because by the grace of God, I want to be able to do this for a long time. And so that means I've got to do this in a sustainable way and at a pace that is doable for me. And so everyone wins when you come on a Sunday morning and hear other people stand up and and preach to you. Okay, with that said, uh, Mark chapter 5. And let me just kind of segue and and kind of lead into this text by... uh, by giving you a real clear picture of who this text is for. This passage is for those people who right now, you you would look at your life and you would say, I am in one of those seasons that we might call a delay. You know the delays in life? Like the delays are like Laura and I, we got married and we had huge hopes for kids. And uh, it comes down to like time to start trying to make babies and babies aren't being made. And months rolled into like, a lot of months rolled into years of like pleading with God to do something, but, but God just not doing it. I, the, a delay is like when a, when a parent is watching uh, a son or daughter wreck their life in rebellious living, and they're praying and pleading with God, just imploring God to do something, and, and nothing's happening. A, a delay is that moment where, where you really need a job, and you've got resumes out everywhere, and every door gets slammed in your face. Those are the sort of delays that we're talking about. The delays are those moments in life where life just seems so frustrating. It's just not going the way that you thought it would go. When you, when you thought about your life looking forward years ago, and then you look at where your life is, there is a disconnect there. You're frustrated at what is not in your life, or maybe it's what is in your life, but this is the sort of delays that we're talking about. It was interesting. I was talking to a couple just, um, just a few days ago who the guy was just expressing this frustration. He's like, man, it feels like I wake up and every day, like I'm in the, the, the movie Groundhog. You know the movie? We're like, I'm waking up and every day is the same day and it's all a broken mess. That's what life feels like. And, and this passage is, is meant to, to encourage, to stir up faith for people who right now feel that. That you're just in the middle of a broken mess and every day feels like the same broken mess that you're living in. And, and can I just, you know, give you this warning? If you're not in one of these seasons, it would call a delay right now. Just give it time, right? That this is like part of what it means to live in a world that's been broken and bruised by sin. That it, it, maybe a different way to look at it is we're all in the delay until Jesus comes back. 
But if you find yourself this morning where it just feels acute and pressing and huge to you right now, like literally you came in this morning halfway discouraged and depressed about where your life is right now. This passage is meant by God to encourage you. It is meant by God to stir up faith in him in the middle of this really difficult season in your life. It's meant by God to stir up a hope in him, to stir up this deep and abiding trust in him, even in the midst of a really cruddy situation. So we're talking about delays. This passage is for you if you find yourself right there. So I want to talk about three things. And and as I start on just kind of this idea of the delays. I read a chapter in Tim Keller's book, A King's Cross. It's over Mark and kind of specifically a chapter dealing with this chapter, or uh, uh, the chapter dealing with this passage specifically that we're in this morning. And I read that about a year ago and that has stuck with me. So, so that chapter called The Waiting in the King's Cross is going to kind of be a shadow in the room this morning as we work through this text. So here we go. Three things about the delays. And we'll start with this. We'll start with this broad category of the delays of God. I just want to, I want to give some biblical framework to, to this idea of these delays that, that we all experience. I, I think it would be fair to say that if you're a Christian in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is a universal experience, these delays. And, and a delay is like you're asking God for something over here, or maybe even God has promised something over here to you. So, so we've got this over here that you're asking that God has promised, and then you're looking at life over here and what is, and there's just this disconnect. That, that's the delays. And listen, that is, that is a universal experience for Christians. Like you cannot read the Bible and miss that. So if you just start in Genesis and start reading forward, you see delay after delay put by God into people's life. Let me just give you a couple of them. You get to Genesis chapter 12, and we've got our man Abraham. You remember him? Abraham and Sarah, God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, listen, I'm going to make, I'm going to make out of you this great nation. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, but here's the only problem. You don't have any kids and they can't have kids. And 25 years later, listen, a 25 year bout with infertility, 25 years later, they have Isaac. It's to the point in their life when um, Abraham is describing his wife, Sarah, he calls her as good as dead. That's when she has the baby. Now, men, I don't care how old your wife is. That's always a bad way to describe her, right? She is as good as dead and she's got Isaac. This is the sort of delay that got inserted into their life. You remember King David? Um, King David was a teenager when God came to him and Samuel anointed him as the next king in Israel. But for years, he lived under the ruthless and prideful leadership of Saul. It's just a delay. God put in his life. Do you remember our man Joseph? This is maybe my favorite, probably my favorite story in the Bible. Do you remember Joseph? When Joseph is a teenager, God gives him a dream and people are bowing down like crazy to him in this dream, even his brothers. And so you've got the world bowing down to Joseph, and then all of a sudden, the next, and this is like by God, like God's saying, I'm going to do this, Joseph. This is happening in your life. And the next thing Joseph knows, he's been thrown down into a pit, sold as a slave, bought by Potiphar, falsely accused by his wife, and thrown into prison. That's what you call a delay. And this is, this is the sort of God we have. He is a God who providentially puts delays into our life. Like God's grace and mercy into our life seldom operate on our schedule. Are we seeing that? That It seldom operates on our schedule. Our our schedule over here and God's are oftentimes much different. 
And we see a, 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 you might call tragic picture of that playing out in this passage. So read along with me here, starting in verse 21. What we see in this passage is a devastating delay. Verse 21 says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. So this would be a prominent man, a respectable man, a moral man. He was likely a Pharisee. So, so this is a man that's got some social capital. Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet. So Jairus, this prominent, respectable man, seeing Jesus, fell at his feet and implored him, begged him, pleaded with him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. That's an idiom to say she's sinking. She is slipping away. She is dying right now. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Now, if we're going to get to where this passage wants us to go, we've got to make sure we step into Jairus' shoes. You've got to make sure you can, get, like, you've got to get here emotionally just for a second. It's a really uncomfortable place, but you've got to get to the point where you're thinking, and dads, if you're in the room and you've got a daughter, this should not be an overly difficult thing for you to get to. There should be a really sensitive little part of your heart right here in this one when you read this story. That, that we've got to get to a point where we are like imagining that's our 12-year-old daughter. And, and we're, we're watching our 12-year-old daughter get sick and every moment gets sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where kind of this panic sets in as you're realizing if something doesn't happen right now, not a week from now, an hour from now, three hours from now, but right now, if it doesn't happen right now, our little girl is about to die. Like you've got to get there and feel that right there. That this is the sort of desperation in this moment. I mean, think about how crazy you would be there. I mean, in that moment, you would lose every sort of like social norm would be out the window as you do whatever it takes to find help. See, this is where Jairus is. And it makes like the, the next little part seem like really like, makes perfect sense. So he's to the point of my baby girl is dying. So what does he do? He loses all kind of social norms, all sort of social kind of etiquette. He sees Jesus, runs to him and falls at his feet asking for help. And then I love verse 24. Mark, you know, his writing style is why use two words when one will work, right? Verse 24 says this. You know, Jairus has just come, fallen at Jesus' feet, pleaded with him to come and help. Come and lay hands on my daughter. She is about to die. I'm desperate. And Jesus, says, Mark says this about Jesus. And he went with him. And he went with him. And I just want to just linger over this a moment to encourage some in the room who right now you feel like you're in the middle of one of these desperate situations. Where right now when you think about life, it feels really hard and your posture toward God is, man, God, I, I, I'm not asking for a miracle like in a week from now or in three weeks from now or a year from now. God, I need you to come through right now or this goes really bad. Now, I, I want you to know that if, man, if you're a son or daughter of God in the room and that's you this morning, that you can expect Jesus to answer you just like that. You can expect verse 24 is your answer. You come and, and humbly get before God with that plead with God to help. You, you can expect this to be said, and Jesus went with you. You can expect that this morning. 
that if you're in Christ, this is, Jesus loves to help. He loves it when his sons and daughters come before him and plead with him to move and to work and to do and to act. And he loves to move and to act. I just want you to feel that this morning, if that's you, that you have a God that loves to do, verse 24, and go with them and help them. You've got a God that's just like that. And then here comes the delay. So verse 24, he went with him, and this is where the plot clots. So look at verse 24, the second half. So Jesus is following Jairus to Jairus' house. It's a desperate moment. Time is of the essence. It's critical. His his daughter is about to die. There's no time to spare. And then you get to verse 24b, and it says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. I don't use that word thronged in my vocabulary, but I kind of get the picture. I kind of see celebrity walking down the street, and the celebrity cannot take one step without someone interrupting, without someone getting in the way, without someone wanting an autograph, without someone wanting something from him. That's thronging about. And so you've got Jairus. Time is of the essence. Like, we've got to get there and, like, get there now. Not an hour from now, but, like, right now. We've got to get there. She is dying. And, he, and Jesus is in the middle of this crowd that is thronging about him. He can't make it one step without someone needing something, without someone stopping him for something. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does the most confusing thing if you're Jairus. He looks around and he says, who touched me? Now, if you're Jairus, what are you thinking in this moment? Here's what I'm thinking. Who cares? <laughs> Seriously, we've got to get to my house and get there now. I don't care who touched you. I don't care what's going on. We have got a place to be and there is no time to spare to get there. I mean, are you feeling that? And not only does he stop and kind of linger over this question, he kind of singles this lady out. And then it says that this lady told him the whole story, the whole truth. So how do we know that she had this 12-year problem? How do we know that she's gone to doctors and the doctors have made her worse rather than How do we know all that? We know all that because right now Jesus has stopped and he's talking to her and this lady is going through the details of her medical history. That's how we know. It's what you call a delay. Now let me just try to bring this to life for you. Imagine you drive home today and you get T-boned and it hits right where your 12-year-old daughter is. And you look at her and you realize we have got a serious problem. She is bleeding profusely and you scoop her up and in a panic, you rush her to the hospital. You break through the doors of the ER and you're screaming for help. And the doctor sees you and sees we've got an intense, crazy situation here. He he starts to come towards you to help and all of a sudden a lady grabs him who has a headache. And uh, the doctor stops. And he, and he stops and addresses this lady who's got the headache. And, and he, he stops at this lady and, and he asks for the medical history of this lady. Well, how long have you had a headache? I mean, what, what's going on in the middle of this headache? What does the headache feel like? And your girl is in your hands about to die and this doctor is dealing with a headache. Are you seeing what that would feel like in this moment? See, this is where we are in this story. Like, I've read this this week, and my heart has just, like, broken into pieces for Jairus. I'm just saying, if that was me, I would be beside myself watching this go down. That Jesus is stopping to help this lady who she's got a problem. It's not to downplay a problem that she has. There is a significant problem, but it is a little p problem. It's a problem that you can deal with tomorrow, and it'd be just as good if you're 
thinking from Jairus' point of view. And Jairus, his daughter has an all caps, big P problem. Like it's a problem that can't wait until tomorrow. See, this is what's happening in this moment. Jesus is the doctor who has just said, let me deal with the headache. You hold your baby for a second. And then you get to verse 35, and here comes the devastating news that's delivered right in the middle of this delay. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine what you would feel like right there if you were Jairus? What in that moment Jairus was feeling toward Jesus? I think words like anger, frustration, confusion, I think those sort of words would describe it. And and I've just got like this weird hunch this morning that there's many of us like right now when we think about God in our life have the same sort of words that come to mind. That we just don't understand what's going on. We just don't understand why this delay happened. Why it is that Jesus would work with the headache while this is going on. You know, when I think about Mark 4 and Mark 5, I think, I think some of the things that, that Jesus is teaching his disciples and therefore us a couple of thousand years later. In Mark 4, you remember the moment when they're crossing the sea and here comes the storm out of nowhere. The disciples literally think that they are about to die in this boat, in this storm, and Jesus is asleep on the cushion. You remember that? In Mark 4, in that story, Jesus, one of the things Jesus is trying to show his disciples is that my love and my grace and my affection in your life, so I, I love you, my grace is, is for you, that the, all of that is compatible in Mark 4 with there also being storms in your life. Devastating like, oh my gosh, I may die sort of moments. That those things are compatible. That God can providentially put those sort of storms in your life. And now you get to Mark chapter 5, and I think one of the things that, that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and therefore us is that his love and mercy and grace in our life is also compatible with really confusing and even devastating delays. Like we pray and nothing's happening. We need God to do this, but he's not doing it. That his love and grace and mercy in our life is compatible with those sort of delays. I like how one pastor put it. I mean, I, I want you to think about this. It, he said it this way. If you impose your schedule on God, if you compose your schedule on God, you will never really feel loved by him. See, if, 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 if you're trying to force God to operate in your schedule, if you're trying to do that, if, if that's how we're living, if we're consistently trying to force God into our schedule, here's the truth. God is always going to feel like he's failing us. We're always going to think that, that he's a disappointment. He, we're always going to think that he is not coming through. So let, let me just try to, as tenderly as I can, just maybe step into this just with a question to start us this morning. of just asking, you know, asking the question, what, what would it look like for us this morning to just start to open up our hand to the agenda and schedule of our life? But what would it look like to open up our hand and just begin to humbly say to God, I am no longer going to be a person who tries to shove you into my schedule, 
but, but I, I'm going to open up my hand with the hope of you making me into a person who will trust you and put my faith in you even when your schedule doesn't make sense. Amen. And what would it look like for us just to begin to open up our hand knowing that we have a God who providentially puts delays into our life. Now here's the second Second big category of things I want to just try to work through is like, what are we learning in the midst of these delays? How do we make sense of these delays? And there's a lot more that we could talk about in the midst of that. So I just want to give you a couple of things we learn out of this passage about these delays in our life. When God providentially says, I know you really want this right now, but I'm not giving it to you right now. How do we make sense of that? Let me give you three things out of this passage. Here's, here's lesson number one that we can learn here is that in the delays, you both get and give far more than you expected. That in the delays, you are going to get from God and you're going to have to give to God far more than you originally planned. So let's just work through the different characters in this story. And let's take Jairus to start. When when Jairus comes into the picture here, um, he's asking for something really simple. He's asking for his daughter to be made well. He's asking for a cure to this sickness. But you know what Jairus ended up getting in the story? Not just a a healing of a sickness. He got a resurrection from the dead. See, he got far more than he had originally bargained for. It did not exactly go the way he planned. There was an unexpected ending to this. He got far more than he expected. But wouldn't we all say that he also had to give way more than he expected? See, it's one thing to trust God for a healing of someone that's sick. It's a whole nother thing when God requires a sort of faith and trust and belief in him to raise someone from the dead, isn't it? See, we're talking about two radically different kinds of faith here. See, he he both got way more than he expected, but, but Jairus had to give way much more than he expected. He got way more than he bargained for in both of those two ways. Now let's take our, um, our lady. When it comes to Our Lady, if you're you're thinking about from her perspective here and about what she had to give, see, she really wanted kind of a hit and run thing here. She wanted to be able to to touch Jesus and then get out of there as quickly as she could. But but, but she's going to have to give a lot more than that. See, that required a level of faith. I'm going to have to touch Jesus and then I'm out. But but Jesus wasn't, wasn't good for that. He wanted more than that. So it wasn't just a touch and run that Jesus was in for. He he singled her out. He stopped in the midst of this urgent situation and said, who touched me? Singling her out in this large crowd. See, that required a whole different level of faith for, for Our Lady here. But she also got way more than she dreamed. See, when, when she came to Jesus, here's what she was wanting, a cure. But you know what Jesus was wanting? A personal encounter with this lady. See, she, she was wanting like a remedy for the disease. But you know what Jesus wanted? He wanted to make her his daughter. Are we seeing that? See, she's just wanting like salvation from this physical illness. And Jesus wants her salvation for all eternity. That's what's happening here. See, she wanted to leave being made well. Jesus wanted to be, like, her to leave with her eternity made well. See, she got far more than she dared dreamed in the midst of this. And, and so maybe we could just... Just remind ourselves of this, like right now, especially if you're one of the people in the room right now that, and you're just in the middle of one of these delays, is that this is going to be a season for you that's not going to turn out like you expect. That God is going to both require so much more than you thought from you, 
and do so much more in you than you thought, pull so much more out of you than you thought you had in you, and at the same time, you're going to get so much more than you even knew to ask God of. So that's one of the things we're learning here, is that we both get and give way more than we expected in the midst of these delays. Here's the second one. Lesson two. The delays show the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And I love this part of the story. Shows the upside-down nature. Think about how you respond to people relationally. And I'll just summarize the world's pattern, which is likely most of our patterns in the room. When it comes down to like who you're going to respond to, how urgent that response is going to be to them, here's how most of us judge that. What can they give me? How powerful are they? How prominent are they? So like it's the reason that the President of the United States called you on your cell phone right now. Like if it said White House on your phone right now, you're probably going to get up and walk out of this room and go answer the phone. Right? Because there's something to lose there. Like power and prestige pull on our hearts way more than we would dare realize, even know to realize. So the, the world's pattern of operating is if there's something to gain from this person, powerful, prestigious, rich, then we respond. If there's nothing to gain from them, no prominence, no, no respectability, all that, then, then when, when we get around to it, then we'll respond. But isn't it amazing how Jesus is so much different than that? I, look at, think about this story. Jairus is a somebody. The woman is a nobody. Jairus is uh, powerful. The woman is powerless. Jairus is likely wealthy. This woman is destitute. And what money she does have, she spent on doctors and is worse off now than when she started. Jairus is on the inside. He's in the crowd. You know, he's, he's on the inside of it. The woman is on the outside. I mean, if you think about this woman's position with her, with her problem here in, in this chapter, she's going to be ceremonially unclean. That means that in her day, she could not have gathered with a group of people like this and worship God with them. She couldn't have done that. She's going to be a person that's on the outside. She had no daddy who is running to Jesus on her behalf. She is a social outcast. She likely was never married because she could never have kids because she could not be touched by a Jewish man. We see in that. That this is a lady who is on the the outside of of the social kind of places here. She's an outcast. She's got nothing to offer. She can't get into that crowd. It is likely, when you're reading this in in Mark chapter 5, it is likely at this point, she's had this problem for 12 years, it is likely that she has never had a person in the last 12 years hug her or touch her, because if they did, they would also become ceremonially unclean. See, this is the position of this lady. She is a nobody from nowhere with nothing to everybody but Jesus. See, that is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. He's got Jairus, respectable, prominent kind of leader in his day, got social clout and capital. And Jairus is wanting something from Jesus. But Jesus says, hold on Jairus as he takes care of a nobody. And aren't we thankful for that? Because can we just be honest? We're the nobodies. We're the nobodies. And for some unknown reason, God in his grace sent Jesus a somebody to save us nobodies. Isn't that amazing? That we have a God who who responds to people like us like that. You know, it's ironic in in the New Testament when you just kind of read through it, that the people who are on the inside, who really feel like they're somebody, they're the people who end up on the outside when it's all said and done. And the people who know that they're nobodies, that those are the people who end up on the inside. 
The people who are on the outside, knowing that they have nothing. They're the people who actually make it in in the end. I, I love how one pastor says it. He says that God is more attracted to people who are most messed up and who have messed up the most. That grace flows downhill to people who know they are messed up and who knows they have messed up the most. That grace has a way of flowing downhill right into those people's lives. Aren't we grateful for that? That that's who Jesus comes after, who he loves, who he loves to make time for. Shows us the upside down nature of the kingdom. And here's the third one. Lesson three. If God is delaying and we're confused about it right now, if God's delaying and it feels devastating, confusing to us, we need to remind ourselves that it's because we're missing some crucial facts. Let me just try to un- unpack that and, and work through that. If right now delays feel devastating, much like they did to Jairus in this moment, and, and our posture is to God, what are you doing? This seems inexcusable that you would not be acting and working and moving and doing right now in this. It seems inexcusable that, that, that this would be happening, that you would be the doctor who is dealing with the headache when we've got a crisis situation going on. Seems inexcusable. And I think that's Jairus' posture, isn't it? I mean, I think that's exactly how he would have felt in, in this story, in this moment. And it's just really important that we remind ourselves that, that one of the reasons Jairus felt that way is because he was missing some crucial facts. That he could not see everything that he needed to see in this moment to feel better about the moment. And let me just give you a couple of those. In this moment, one of the things that Jairus couldn't see that we can see a couple thousand years later reading the story, Jairus couldn't see that for Jesus, healing a girl that is sick and bringing a girl back from the dead are basically the same thing to him. Like it's not like, you know, healing a person that's sick is like bench pressing 150 pounds and bringing someone back from the dead is like, man, that's going to be a 400 pound lift. It doesn't work that way for Jesus. Like it's the same muscle twitch, can do either one, no problem. See, Jairus doesn't know that. He doesn't know that it requires the exact same amount of like strength and energy and the power of God, relatively speaking. It requires the exact same thing for Jesus to look at a girl and say, be be well. Or for him to look at the same girl and say, rise from the dead. So that's how strong and powerful our God is. But Jairus can't, he doesn't know that at this point, right? He, He has a hard time seeing that at this point. He just, he has a hard time putting all of those things together. He's just missing these huge realities. And and Jairus can't see, like, if if you put yourself in the story where Jairus is, he can't see that in God's ER, in, in God's emergency room, that this lady's eternal destiny is actually more urgent right now in this moment, making this girl a daughter of his is more urgent and more pressing than healing his sick girl. Isn't that, isn't that something to think about? Jairus has no idea that that could be true. If, you, if you're thinking from Jairus' perspective, the only thing that would make sense is, this is the big problem, that's a headache, let's fix the big problem first. He has no idea that in God's ER, this is the big problem, and he's dealing with it first. See, he's just missing crucial facts. 
And if your posture toward God right now is, this feels inexcusable, how could you be doing this? I just think it's so important that we remind one another that we are missing crucial facts. How about our man Joseph? Do you remember our man Joseph? 17 years old, he gets the dream, you're going to be powerful ruler person. People are going to be bowing down from you, namely your brothers. And all of a sudden, he looks up, talked about this a second ago, he's thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, bought by Potiphar, falsely accused by his wife, and now he is rotting away in a prison cell. Now, I would have loved to have heard the conversations right there between Joseph and God. Because I guarantee you, they sound like a lot of our conversations. God, what are you doing? Do you remember that dream? Hey, this is Joseph. That dream, you gave it to me. And all of a sudden, I'm in a prison cell watching life waste away around me. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? I mean, that is a serious delay happening right there. And here's the problem, though. Joseph just didn't see all the facts. He didn't see that in God's providence, this delay got him around the cupbearer of, of the Pharaoh, who would then get him around Pharaoh so that Joseph would be second command in all of Egypt. He could not see those facts in the moment. So, so again, can we just remind ourselves, if that's us right now, we're in the delay and our heart is just like screaming out to God, this feels inexcusable. That there will be a day when facts become clear and what felt so inexcusable becomes excusable. That that day's on the horizon for all of us. And I want to just, as gently as I can say this, just looking back over my own life, what I've noticed about me, and I'll just kind of take it back to Laura and I get married, we're struggling with infertility for years. And, And what I've noticed about me is the primary issue in my struggles is my own pride and arrogance, really thinking that I know better when it comes to the schedule of my life than God does. And I think this would just be a great moment to remind our hearts that God knows better. We're missing facts here. That that God knows better the schedule of our life and what it needs than we do. And here's the third thing, and we'll land the plane on this. This idea of trusting God in the delays. The climatic point in the story happens kind of as we move forward here. We've got the delay happening. Jairus has just heard that his daughter is dead. And let's just kind of pick it up right here in the middle of this. So in verse 35, while he was still speaking, dealing with the headache, as opposed to rushing to to Jairus' house, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue in the middle of this devastating delay, and he's saying to all of us in the room this morning, in the middle of delays or will be in delays, he said to this guy, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus looks at him and says, Jairus, keep your eyes on me. Keep your faith in me. Jairus, trust me right now. Trust me. And can we all just take a second to empathize with our man Jairus? That's hard work in the middle of a devastating delay. You, you put yourself in his shoes and you hear Jesus say, hey, just trust me. That, that's a little bit harder than it sounds on the page. That is difficult work. In the middle of these delays, what delays do, especially devastating delays, is they assault faith with doubt and unbelief. It makes faith and and trust in God an absolute war in our life. 
So, so I, the question becomes, how in the middle of that being so difficult, how do we keep our faith in Jesus? How do we, how do we actually trust Jesus when that sort of devastating delay is going on? And I think the end of the story helps us. Look at verse 37. H- how do we do that? What do we need to do that? To put our faith in Jesus in the midst of these sort of terrible delays. Verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Maybe ask yourself the question, how often do you respond to God with that sort of pessimistic attitude, right? And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and he went in where the child was. Verse 41. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Two things we have to know if we're gonna like put our faith and trust in Jesus, keep it there in the midst of delays. Here's the first one, that God really does love us. Like if you're in Christ, that God like really does love you. And look at verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha. Now that is like a pet name. It's like a term of endearment. If, if you could imagine a father walking into the room of his 12-year-old and it's 7 a.m. and he's going to wake her up. If you could imagine the word he, a father that loves his daughter would use in that moment, a, a word like, maybe like honey, sweetie, sugar, whatever word you're is, for, you know, whatever word you have for that. But it's a term of endearment, of affection. It's a term that, that communicates, I love you. And if we're going to actually be able to keep our faith in God in the midst of those moments, it requires us like knowing deep down in our soul that God is saying to us, to us Talitha, honey, son, daughter. It, it requires us to know that, that God loves us like that. But, but then there's this next word. There's this word, cuming. And this is going to show us that God is not just, he doesn't just love us in the midst of these moments, but he's also strong for us in the midst of these moments. So it's not just a dad walking into the room or or Jesus walking into the room with this daughter who is dead and saying, Talitha, honey. See, we actually need more than honey. We actually need more than just knowing that God loves us. We actually have to hear the kumi. Like we actually have to hear God say, arise. See, that, that is just showing us how strong and powerful God is, right? I think about Mark 4. In Mark 4, Jesus looks at a storm, a hurricane, and in and, and two words, calms the storm. In Mark chapter 5, he looked at this crazy demoniac guy and instantly restores him, casts out this demon. Now in Luke 5, a little later on, we've got this disease this lady has, instantly heals the disease and sickness. And now at the end of Mark 5, we see Jesus in just a couple of Greek words, right? A couple of words, this lady, is, or little girl is brought back from the dead. See, we actually have to know that God is that powerful, that God can speak in our life and things like that happen. 
that God both loves us, Talitha, and is strong for us, Kumi. God is both of those, loves us and is strong for us. And I love this phrase, he took her by the hand. Do you see that in verse 41? Uh, A couple of weeks ago when we were down in Houston, uh, we stayed at this hotel that had like this little water park in it. And so we had all, you know, three kids in tow in this water park, and we decided that we were going to uh, go get a snow cone. So all three kids, you know, in tow over to the snow cone, you know, place now. And on the way, uh, there was like part karaoke, part dance party that like broke out all around us. And it was a a little bit humorous just to watch. So we're kind of watching this thing go down, and we watch it for a few minutes, and then we we walk on to the snow cone scene. And we're in line, get a snow cone, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, my, where is Hannah? She, she is gone. And so I called CPS on Laura, and Laura started to go, no, I'm joking. And uh, so, so we start this mad dash to try to find, like, where in the world is Hannah? And, uh, you know, we kind of round the corner where we were, and there she is, this lady's holding her, and she's just in pieces. She has come apart. And isn't it amazing, and this is like a universal thing for a young boy or girl, when they lose the hand of a mom or dad in the midst of a store, in the midst of a moment like that, isn't it amazing how they absolutely come to pieces? But when, like, when you grab their hand, when they see that, okay, I'm back, we're back, we're, we're together, how almost instantly there is an assurance in that moment. Now, part of that is good. Like, when I think about Hannah, Laura and I want to love our kids, and we want to protect them, so, so part of that is good. Like I, I would take a bullet for any of my kids any day of the week. So part of that is good that they would have that sort of trust and, and hope in us. But listen, part of that's really bad. Like I'm a sinful parent. On my best day, I'm going to have a lot of failures, right? And aren't we thankful that we have got a God as a father who will never let go of our hand and is a perfect parent? That even in the midst of our devastating delays, always has our hand. The question is, how do you know that? And listen, by the way, that hand is a powerful hand. It, it can draw us up out of any dark night, right? And how do we know that? We know that God will always have our hand by what happens a few chapters later in the Gospel of Mark. In just a few short chapters, Jesus goes to the cross. And you know what happens on the cross? Jesus absolutely loses the hand of his Father. And do you know what's happening in that moment? God is saying to us, because because Jesus lost, lost my hand, all of my wrath over your sin being poured out on him, because Jesus has lost my hand, you can know for all eternity that you never will. Uh, on the cross, God goes silent to Jesus. And you know why he went silent? Because it is punishment. It's the wrath and fury of God over our sin being poured out on Jesus. So, so on the cross, God goes silent to Jesus. And, and, and do you know what Jesus is, or God is saying to us in that moment? I'm going silent to Jesus so that for the rest of eternity, you can be absolutely confident and secure that I will always be speaking to you, Talitha. Son, daughter, honey. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.